And I invite you to take your Bibles, give you a little fair warning, um, grab a pen and a piece of paper, and uh, we're, you're going to need it. We're going to be going at a pretty good clip this morning, and I'll just keep saying this morning, um, out, of, out of habit, and I trust maybe it is a Sunday morning for you, but uh, we are going to cover the entire discourse uh, in the ordered fashion. So let's just pray, and uh, we'll get, get to it. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time where we can open your truth. Lord, we have to open your word, understand that it is you that speaks through your word, Lord. And I just pray that that would be the case. We're going to be covering a lot of truths, a lot of different aspects, a lot of things that maybe we haven't even considered, but it all points to the cross. And for this excuse me, special Sunday of, of Easter, Lord, and, and we know the, what you did on the cross and we know the promise that's held in your resurrection, Lord. Just pray that these truths would solidify our faith, would just help us to, to step forward in a little bit more resolved, resolved faith, Lord. And I just pray that um, you would be honored through this. So lead us. We just pray these things in your precious name. Amen. Well, John chapter 6, uh, I'm going to ask a question here this morning as we begin. What kind of Easter message are you giving um, this Easter? I know it's going to look a little bit different. I know uh, the gatherings are going to look a little bit different. But what kind of Easter message are you giving? Um, us as pastors are kind of a little bit handcuffed. Right, and, that, and it shouldn't be the pastor's only job. It should be, should be everyone's job here. But what message are you giving for Easter this year? When you say that you're sharing Jesus, what exactly does that mean? It's in John chapter 6. Um, you're going to see, and we've been looking at this for the past couple weeks, we're going to watch as Jesus leads a group of people. Right? This is the, the group of people that Jesus fed at the, the feeding of the 5,000. A group of people who had experienced Jesus. I mean, so much so that they, Jesus sent them away and the next day they're looking for them. They, they traveled across the Sea of Galilee looking for Jesus. We're going to watch as Jesus leads a group who had experienced Jesus. As Jesus interacts with a group that's hearing the words that Jesus is giving. I keep saying this, hearing God's words and listening are two very different things. We're going to look at as Jesus interacts with a group that I, I truly believe that there's an element of sincerity in their desire to include Jesus in what they're doing. Right? They're looking for Jesus. I think they were sincere and wanting to include Jesus. But ultimately, they were trying to do these things in unbelief. They'd experienced, they said they were hearing Jesus' words, that there was a sincerity to include Jesus in their life. But they were trying, they were attempting to do it in unbelief. Before we even step into this text this morning, at this point, if you are unable, if you are unable to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, 
both in the text and for you this morning. If you're unable to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if you're unable to believe that He was sent by God, He was sent from heaven, He came with God's promise, then you are definitely unable to understand and by faith accept the next part in God's spiritual plan. You you will not be able to accept that. The very purpose of why Jesus the Son of God came. The very reason, and that is Calvary. When you pause and think at the end of this discourse, and we'll get there, I promise, when when you pause and think, these people weren't just walking away from Jesus the Son of God. You don't just walk away from Jesus the Son of God to do your own thing. They were walking away from Calvary. What was accomplished on the cross. Ask a question this morning, and this intro is a little bit longer. When do you normally lose those who aren't really interested in a relationship with Christ? When you're having those conversations, those witnessing opportunities, when, when, you're, when you're parenting, it matters not. When do you normally lose a person who's not really interested in a relationship with Christ? Well, generally, as a rule, it's when you start talking about sin, right? When you start talking about evident sin. When you start explaining to them that God says that we are sinners, And what we are doing and how we are living is probably wrong according to the Scriptures. How you're living right now is probably wrong according to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You lose people. They walk away when you start talking about sin. You lose people when you start talking about spiritual death. That we were born in sin. Right? It is passed down through Adam. We, we are born, and we know there's an age of innocence there, but when you are born, you have that sin nature, and you are separated from God. When you are unsaved, you are serving the other master. Put a name to it. You are serving Satan. He is, he is your authority. He is governing your life as an unsaved person. People, are, people aren't interested in that. You lose people when you start talking about them having to shift their mindset. As soon as there's a, a change of thinking needed, as soon as there's a little bit deeper digging in the Word to understand what God is saying, as soon as there's a, a needed a transition or a shift from the milk to the meat, mm-mm. no, I'm, I'm okay just, just the way I, I am. I, I'm, I'm okay knowing what I know. People walk away when you mention the Sonship of Christ. Right, that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is eternal, the second person of the Godhead. He is the I Am. He is the eternal Word. He is the Judge. When it comes to theology, no, that's, that's not for me. When you mention sonship, theology, what about sacrifice? You lose people when you start talking about sacrifice. That Jesus had to die. That His blood had to pour out through those holes that were nailed in His hands and His feet. That, that, that blood had to be shed because of your sin. That makes people uncomfortable. Jesus had to die because of your sin. 
than to go on and we'll get there this morning. What about sharing in that sacrifice? It's not enough to know that He died on Calvary. You have to share in that. You have to partake. You have to participate in that sacrifice. Your sin was paid for, but you have to ask for forgiveness and you have to continue to ask for forgiveness. You have to eat of it. You have to consume it. You have to actively take part in that sacrifice. And then lastly... People aren't interested in in spiritually living through Christ's sacrifice. Let me remind you this morning, friend, that if you've placed your faith in Christ and you've received that new life in Him, the fellowship of the believer rests in eating of the spiritual life that Christ offers. It rests in eating of it. It rests in drinking, consuming, taking for yourself the life blood of Jesus that was given on your behalf. This is where your continued forgiveness comes from. Right? Because we all sin. Right? This is this you have been forgiven at salvation, right? Your sins have been paid for, but you must keep repenting to be forgiven and cleansed by the blood of Christ. This is the Easter message. This is the the Easter message. The John chapter 6, that John chapter 6 group was walking away from. They weren't just walking away from Jesus, the Son of God. They were walking away from the message of the cross. No one who understands truly who the Son of God is and what was done on their behalf can walk away from the cross. Can they? This John chapter 6 group, and uh, we'll step into the text. They wanted a new king. This John chapter 6 group wanted a new Moses to lead them, but it had to be their way, and we'll see that. They wanted more bread. They wanted more healing. They wanted more miracles to prove who Jesus is, who He says He is, before they would have faith in Him. This group wanted Jesus to be more understandable on their, their terms. They wanted Jesus to come down to their level. They wanted to join with Jesus hassle-free. They didn't want to talk about sin. They didn't want this spiritual life stuff. They didn't want to talk about, about the sacrifice and the theology. They weren't interested in that. And this morning we recognize that this sounds a lot like the Jesus the world is asking for. This sounds a lot like the Jesus that many in the church have created. Well, let's, let's fasten our seatbelts and uh, we're really, really going to step into this. John chapter 6, and we're going to begin in verse 25. And uh, I promise we're, we're going to get through this just like champs. All right, so John chapter 6, verse 25 to 30, starts out with sin. Starts out with evident sin. Read with me. Verse 25, And when they found Him on the other side of the sea, that this day is those that had, had participated in the feeding of the 5,000. They had, they had had their bellies full, right? And now they're looking for more of this Jesus. When they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Teacher, my teacher. Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, 
not because you saw the signs, not because you, you see the things that God is bearing witness of me and that he has sent me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man, there's that title, that deity title, will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore they said to him, what sign will you perform them that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Here we see the, these people. We, we understand this is in a synagogue in Capernaum. These people came to Jesus, the Son of God, in a synagogue casually. Casually. They called Jesus their teacher. We, we see here, Rabbi, when did you come here? There's an intimacy. There's a friendship. Again, there, when, you, when you called somebody their ra- your rabbi, it was like, I'm learning from this guy. But they weren't seeking Jesus for the right reasons. They knew they wanted Jesus in their life, but not because He was Jesus, the Son of God. Because He was giving them miracles. He was doing good things. And verse 28 explains to us that, they, that they're missing the point. Then they said to Him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? And I thought to myself this week as, as I studied and sorted through this, there, you know, you cannot do with your hands what God wants to do in and with your heart. These people were, were hearing Jesus' words and they thought they could do it with their hands, but you cannot do with your hands what God wants to do in and with your heart. These people there were, were blinded by sin. There was evident sin here. These people were asking the questions, what sign, what work will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? You can hear the tone. This, these people asking these questions would not last long following Jesus this way. There's no faith. I think of that verse in 30. The conversation that God is having with their hearts. They're standing under the ministry of the Word. The Word that's sharp, more power, living and powerful, more sharper than any two-edged sword. They're, that God is having conversations with their hearts that cannot be proved with their eyes. Right? The, the, the evident sin is, is hindering them from that spiritual perception that's needed. They needed to believe. They needed to believe. They needed to hear Jesus' message. They needed to repent. And I really like that, that definition of changing your mind as to how God sees you. Changing your mind which leads to a change of heart. And we know that when that's the case, there will be a change of life. Believe. This is the work of God that you believe in Him whom He sent. You need to believe, believe, believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. It's just a, uh, they, there was such an evident sin here. We step into the next point, number two. John chapter 6, 
Let's just continue on reading. Verses 31 to 36. And we're going to see real quickly here, real quickly, that Jesus is showing them and showing us this morning that they are spiritually dead. Right there, they are spiritually dead. They're in the state of the natural man. Read with me. Here's the suggestion, verse 31. Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, number one, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Do you think they got that here? Well, look at their response. Then they said to Him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. I was thinking this week that you can almost picture neon arrows pointing towards Jesus. The amount of times in these conversations where, where he's drawing attention to who he is, drawing attention to, 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 to what, what he's there for, his very purpose. But what does verse 36 say? But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. These, these people, this group is spiritually dead. They're in the state of the natural man. If Jesus came to give them life, it meant that they did not have life. And if they did not have life, that means that they did not have life with God. They had no relationship with God. And we don't have time to get into Israel's history and, and the confusion and what Satan was doing there. But they did not have life. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, explains to us about spiritual death. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, explains that we are born spiritually dead. That, that, that sin, that separation is passed down through Adam because of the fall. Romans chapter 5 explains that we're spiritually dead. And I invite you to turn with me very quickly to Ephesians chapter 2. Right? And this just explains why these people were not getting this. Ephesians chapter 2. It'd be like a sword drill. Not very quick. We've got to keep moving. Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 1 and 2 explains exactly what's going on here. These people are spiritually dead. They're in the state of the natural man. It says this, And you, being writing to the Ephesian believers, those born again in Christ gloriously with the message of the cross, and you He made alive, spiritually alive, and you He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. You once, when you were unsaved, were dead in trespasses. Those cycles, those things that you trip up in, those things that keep taking you lower and lower, you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world. Right now we understand that, that some of us are saved at a young age and some of us are saved from much of the turmoil and, and what goes on there in the world and we see the evidence of that. But the truth of the matter is you're born dead. And you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. This is where it gets serious. Before you were saved, 
You served a different master. Before you, were, uh, before you were saved, as an unsaved man or woman, your life was governed by the prince of power of the air. Your life was governed by Satan, the spirit who now works in sons of disobedience. That's Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. I invite you to read that if there's any questions. Spiritual death means that Satan is your authority. That as you're walking in the world, Satan is your authority. Spiritual death means that Satan is your master and you are separated from God. The end result of that is that you need to be redeemed. You need to be bought back. You need to have your ransom paid in full. And we know that that happened at the cross. Jesus' blood paid the price, the redeeming sacrifice, once and for all, for all sin. Here in John chapter 6, Verse 31 to 36, Jesus is showing them you're spiritually dead. You don't have life. See, we see the Satan is the master. These people are lost. These people needed life. They needed the bread of life. Not just the manna we see them ask for in verse 31. Our fathers ate the manna in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Not just the manna given to a group. Who was receiving the manna here? Think with me. Who was the, 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 those wandering in the wilderness? Forty years. Those, those receiving the manna were ones being judged for unbelief. They didn't need that manna. They needed the bread of life that the Lord Jesus Christ came to give. Verse 35 says, And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to Me shall never hunger, and he who believes in Me shall never thirst. Jesus is saying, you will never long for anything else if you come and eat of this life I've come to bring. You will never long for anything else if you come and consume. You will never long for anything else if you actively take of this life I've came to bring for yourself. You will never thirst again if you come to Me. If you believe in Me. If you come and learn about Me. You will never thirst again. It's awesome that the life I've come to bring is alive. They weren't interested in the spiritual side of things, were they? They weren't interested in the spiritual life that Jesus had come to bring. But I said to you, verse 36, that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Jesus shows them that they are spiritually dead. Moving on, verse 37. Verse 37 to verse 40. Jesus comes in there and here we, we step into a little bit of a shifting in their mindsets. And maybe for some here this morning and, and listening online, you're going to need to shift your mindset too. There's some deep truths here. But verse 37 says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. <laughs> Eternal security, right? That's a go-to verse. For I have come down from heaven. Six times in this passage he says that. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. This is 
what He is saying, what He is doing, what He is bringing. This is the will of the Father who sent Me, that of all He has given Me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up in the last day. And this is the will of Him who sent Me, that everyone who sees the Son, and picture those arrows, right? Jesus is bringing attention. This is who I am. Anyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up in the last day day. Jesus is bringing the great shifting in their mindsets. It really is a profound thing to think about. The Word. right? God Himself teaching this truth to His people. Teaching this truth to His chosen nation, Israel. These people needed to have faith in God's words, in order to understand what He's saying, right? and in order to believe. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Now think with me, all right? Presently, and this is, this is a, Jesus is presenting something new, presenting something that may be confusing for them, but, but this is something that they desperately needed to understand. Presently, Okay, for the Old Testament believer, and that's who Jesus is ministering to, right? The new covenant for, for the church didn't start till after Calvary, right? That was the, the price they were purchased. That's where it started in Pentecost. But for the Old Testament believer, presently, their relationship with God consisted of going to Jerusalem, right? Going to Jerusalem. And I like this, uh, one of my professors at NBBI uh, had this picture of, of coming before a priest with a sheep underneath your arm. right? Because we know that, that they brought that sheep to, to be sacrificed by the priest that shed blood was atonement for sin. That's how the Old Testament saint had that relationship with God. Right? They, 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 they went to Jerusalem, they came before the priest, they had the sheep underneath their arm, and they sacrificed the spilt blood, um, made atonement for sin. Obeying the law by faith, looking ahead to the Messiah for grace with God. Right? That's, how, that's how the Old Testament saint had a relationship with God. But now, now with Jesus standing before them, the Passover lamb, the Messiah, the Savior, right? Are we getting that picture? Now, the Messiah has come. That has changed. That is changing. And that, that there's a shift that needs to take place. God the Father, Jehovah, has sent Jesus, and again with the neon signs, has sent me with all authority, right? Messiah King had all authority. God Jehovah has sent me with all authority, the prophet, capital P, of Deuteronomy 18, with the new covenant and the promised kingdom. There had to be a mind shift here now. <coughs> In verse 37, Jesus is explaining how it works. Follow with me. Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. Jesus is explaining to them how this new promise this new covenant, how this is going to work differently than the old promise. He say there, when you believe, all right, when you believe that I am the Son of God, when you believe that I brought the new covenant promise, when you believe that I am the Messiah, when you believe, 
When you repent, because we know that was a key part in Jesus' message, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When you repent, when you see your life with this sin in it as God sees it, and you ask for that forgiveness, you change your, your mind, you change your heart, and you change your life. When you believe, when you repent, you will receive eternal life with the Father. Right? And all the Father, Jehovah, all the Father gives me will come to me. When you believe, when you repent, <coughs> you receive eternal life. Jehovah will place you into my kingdom. He will place you into my promise. You will, he will give you to me, and I will not refuse you. Read it with me. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Verse 40 speaks a little bit more to this. <clears throat> and this is the will of Him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son, the arrows pointing at Jesus, sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life. And I will raise Him up in the last day. There's three times in this passage it mentions that. Jesus is saying, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees me as the Son of God, as the Messiah King, as the coming prophet of the new covenant, and believes will have everlasting life, then you may enter my fold. John 10. Then you may enter through that door. Right? Then you may enter into my kingdom. <laughs> God's promise. Let me read that again one more time. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son, recognizes Him as the Son of God, the Messiah King, bringer of the new covenant, and believes in Him may have everlasting life. And I will raise Him up in the last day. Think about that for a second. That's kind of a key part of, of your faith, isn't it? What happens to my spirit when I die then? Right With this mind shift and this new that Jesus is coming, very, very legitimate question I'm sure they're having. I will raise him up in the last day. It's kind of an important part of faith. Who will look after my spirit when I die? Well, Jesus says here, I will raise him up in the last day. Jesus is saying, I look after that. Who will look after my body being raised? All through the Old Testament, God has talked, God has said that he would. I think of David and that God has said he would. Well, Jesus says three times in this, well, it's in my hands now. I will raise him up in the last day. <laughs> These people needed a mind shift. There was a shifting going on. Verse 41, um, we see the response here. And, and I couldn't help but thinking, because in this, these next five verses, we see Jesus present his sonship. You see the Godhead clearly. right? The sonship I put beside there in my notes, theology, and this is the big point where you normally lose everyone. Theology, I don't need that. But this is what the, the, the message of the cross, the message of John 6, the, the message of the Word hinges on. Verse 41. Then the Jews complained about Him. Can you imagine that? Jesus teaching them theology and the Jews are complaining. <laughs> Not the only ones. And Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he has said, I have come down from heaven? 
Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in the last day. This verse, I think, is used um, wrongly by the reformers more than it is by, by rightly by the evangelicals and those that properly read their scriptures. Verse 45, it is written in the prophets, and he quotes from Isaiah, and they shall be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me, not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. We see in, in Jesus presenting his sonship, the theology of it. In verse 41, we see the Jews complaining about him, the very fact that he says that he came down from heaven. Mm-mm, I'm out. In verse 42, we realize that they just saw a man. Jesus was just a, a friend, somebody they wanted to join with, wanted to go in the same path with. They just wanted to come alongside and hang out. And they said, is not this Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? It's in verse 44 that we see, see the working of the Godhead. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. We know the Father works through the Spirit. We know Jesus, the Son of God, is speaking and we see the Father present in this verse, the sovereign authority. Jesus shows His place in the Godhead. Right? The Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus is telling them in this verse, I am the Son of God. I have come with the, the new covenant. I have come with the kingdom. God has given me the headship, the authority. Right? No one can come into my fold through that door, through the kingdom, unless God draws him into my kingdom. That word in the Greek speaks to actually dragging. Right? I think I prefer to see it as placing. Right? But as Jesus, the Son of God, given full authority, given full headship, He's come with the new covenant, come with the kingdom, and He's explaining to them, no one can come into my fold. No one can come through my door. No one can come into my kingdom unless God places Him there. And I will raise Him up in the last day. He goes on in verse 45 to quote from Isaiah 54:13 about the coming kingdom, right? And they shall all be taught by God. That's a reference to the new covenant promise with Israel. Your Jeremiah 31:34, your your Micah 4:2. How does he finish that verse? Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. <laughs> Those that have been reading their scriptures, right, reading their Bibles, anticipating the coming Messiah, they will recognize me. The faithful remnant will recognize the coming Messiah. They will recognize me. They will come to me. They will believe in me. They will follow me in my kingdom. And that again just emphasizes the need for doctrine to be taught today. Verse 47. <laughs> the third most assuredly. And I read that, and I, 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 just, I just know this for certain. As Jesus is speaking, this is, Thus saith the Lord. Verses 47 to 52, we see Jesus lead them straight to the cross. He, he's led them, He's put up with them this part, now it's time to show them that this is about the sacrifice. 
His shed blood was the purpose for why He came. Verse 47, Most assuredly, I say to you, He who believes in Me has everlasting life. Very simple, right? It's not complicated. Believe that He's the Son of God. Believe that He came with that spiritual life promise. Believe that He died on the cross for our sins. Believe. Ask for forgiveness. Make Him Lord and Master. Turn and follow Him. It's not complicated. Most assuredly, I say to you, He who believes in Me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Jesus is taking them straight to the cross. Straight to Calvary. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I, those arrows, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats, consumes, actively takes part in this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Not just for the elect, for the world. Then Jews therefore quarreled among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus is presenting his sacrifice here. I almost picture Jesus saying, okay, class, take a deep breath. Let's put our thinking caps on because I am going to take you to a place in understanding God's eternal plan. All right? I'm going to take you to a place that you have never been for. Old Testament saints, this wayward Israel that's before them, I'm going to take you to a place where you have never been for and you are not going to like it. You're not going to like that. And it is, that is a good thing because it involves sin. It involves recognizing that God hates sin. And so should you. God hates sin, and so should you. Sin needs to be paid for. Your sin needs to be paid for. And you should pay for it yourself. Nobody likes talking about sacrifice. Right? Because the wages of sin is death. Right? There's no other ways. Your sin needed to be paid for. Even today, us today, our sin needed to be paid for. Your sin is why Jesus died. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Verse 48, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Jesus is saying, I, arrows, I am the source of of your relationship with God the Father. I am the source. I am the sacrifice. I am the Savior. See Jesus leading them straight to the cross this morning. Verse 49. Your fathers didn't get it. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and are dead. Your fathers didn't get it. Your fathers didn't believe. Your fathers didn't obey by faith. Your fathers didn't receive God's promise. In fact, they rejected it just like these people were. Verse 50, This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and will not die. This, me, right? Jesus speaking, I have brought God's promise just very quickly, John chapter 1, I invite you to read it because it connects these things so good. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16, And of His fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That new covenant promise. Verse 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread... He will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. This eating of the bread and drinking of the cup, this isn't what the Catholicism practices. I think the big word, if I can say it, is transubstantiation. Right? Okay. It's not what they practice. This isn't talking about the Lord's Supper because that wouldn't come for another year. It wouldn't be instituted. This is talking about the cross. This is talking about the sacrifice that Jesus is trying to get them to see. This is the reason why I came. If anyone eats of this bread, if anyone consumes, if anyone partakes, if anyone actively takes of my promise that I'm giving, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Know this this morning. The biggest Part of the new covenant promise was the sacrifice. wasn't Jesus doing wonders. It wasn't Jesus doing the miracles. It was what He did on the cross. The biggest part of the new covenant is His death on the cross. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Luke chapter 22.20 This is the cup of Thy new covenant which is shed for you. This is the covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. The biggest part of the new covenant is the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. The message of Easter. As people were getting a front-hand glimpse of the sacrifice. But verse 52 shows us very clearly that these people were not hearing Jesus. They were not hearing Jesus because their Bibles were closed and so were their hearts. Therefore the Jews quarreled among themselves, saying, how can this man give us flesh to eat? They didn't want to hear about sin. They didn't need to know about spiritual death. I'm not interested in that part. They didn't need a shift in their thinking. Sonship and theology, not interested. Definitely not interested in eating of a flesh and and talking about sacrifice. Uh, That's not for me. This group was looking to join with Jesus. Go on the same path. Go along and and experience what Jesus had for them. Not be spiritually saved through Jesus as He hung on the cross, as His lifeblood was shed. They wanted to join Jesus. They weren't interested in being spiritually saved through Jesus. John chapter 6, 53 down to 59, just very quickly there. This is about sharing in the sacrifice. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat uh, the flesh of the Son of Man, there's that title again, that deity, that Daniel 7, 13 and 14, flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats of My flesh and drinks of My blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. For My flesh is food indeed, and My blood is drink indeed. 
He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides or continues, has that spiritual fellowship, that relationship in me and I in Him. I wish we had more time to... As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the man and are dead. Get that straight. He who eats of, neon signs, Jesus speaking, he who eats of this bread will live forever. Unless, verse 53, most assured I say, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Unless you eat, unless you consume, unless you partake, unless you actively take part in God's sent sacrifice, Calvary, your Lord Jesus Christ hanging on the cross, unless you take part in that sacrifice sent for sin and drink His blood, you have no life in you. You have no relationship with God. And if you do not have a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no heaven for you, only a hell. I've got more notes here, but I think the clock has run out on me. This Easter, this Easter, we can present a Jesus that the world wants it's pretty soft and it's likable and it's understandable and we bring Jesus down to our level and our friendship. We can present a Jesus that the world wants or a Jesus that the world needs. 54 and 56, you must share in the blood sacrifice of Christ. There is no escaping that. If you think that's awkward this Easter season, well, well, I almost wanted to say shame on you, but, but don't let it be awkward. You have to share in the sacrifice of Christ. You have to share in Christ's blood sacrifice to receive Christ's promise. There's no other way around it. You have to share in that blood sacrifice to receive Christ's life, to abide spiritually in Him and He in you. You have to share in that blood sacrifice. You have to drink that blood in order to, to receive that eternal promise. eternity in His presence. There's no other way. The Easter picture must include sin. It must include spiritual death. You're separated from God. You're not okay the way you are without a saving relationship with Jesus. You have to shift in your thinking. Right? You have to dig deeper in the Word. You have to discover who Jesus is for this, this life. Yet the sonship of Christ, you need to know the theology of how this works. The sacrifice on the cross is imperative. You have to actively share in that blood sacrifice of Christ. Easter's picture must include these things or it's not salvation. It's not salvation and the people who are missing these links will not last very long in their faith. Tell me, does this scenario sound familiar? Does this scenario ring a bell? Verse 59, these things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, 
This message, the message of the cross, message, the Easter message, all, all those things that I've listed. When they heard this, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? And when Jesus knew in Himself that His disciples complained about His message, complained, not about, not about the sermon, complained about His message of the cross, that what was, had, had to happen at Calvary, the sacrifice that had to be made, when he, Jesus knew in Himself that His disciples complained about this, He said, does this offend you? Does this offend you? What then? If you should see the Son of Man ascend where He was before, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. You place that list before you this Easter and it's like, no, I'm not interested. There are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray Him. And He said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to Me unless it has been granted to Him by the Father. From that time, many of His disciples went back and walked with Him no more. This morning, wherever you're listening, whatever's going on, do you truly believe? Do you truly understand the message of Calvary? The sin that needed to be paid for? That you were born spiritually dead and separated? That, that, that Jesus Christ sacrificed Himself, the Son of God. He came. He died. He lived a sinless life. He allowed Himself to be nailed to the cross. His lifeblood poured out to pay the price for your sins so that free gift can be offered to you. All you have to do is ask for forgiveness. Believe in your heart that Jesus, You are the Son of God. You came. You died. You were buried. You rose again on the third day. Lord Jesus, forgive my sins and be my new Master and turn from your way. Turn into that new life. Do you truly believe? Or do you find yourself with this being too much and, and, and slowly walking, when going back and walking with Jesus no more? This is the Easter message. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You. This is a serious topic. When it comes to, to Your sonship, sin, Your shed blood, it is a serious topic. I pray that we would maybe, maybe even listen to this again, go back through these texts, allow You to speak to us, Lord. Maybe there's things, maybe there's business we need to deal with. Maybe there's a decision we need to make to place our faith in You. Lord, I pray that we don't leave it another minute. Pray that You would speak through this message, be with our church family, be with the people we're, we're, we're reaching out and witnessing with, Lord. Help us to come together. We just pray that You would work in our midst. We pray these things in Your precious name. Amen. Thank you for joining us.